from the Rose City in beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon, home of bikes, books, bridges, beards, food carts, startups, and indie coffee. Grab your dog, snatch your hammer and beer, leave your umbrella at home. Welcome to the Tiny House Podcast. Welcome, listeners. It's Tiny House Podcast, and I'm Perry. This is Michelle. And this is Mark and Perry. I think you almost forgot the name of the show. You almost did. Because I'm so fired up because our last episode was so freaking phenomenal. Uh, and this one is going to be equally as phenomenal because today we have Christy Wolf from Idaho. Christy, welcome. Hi. Oh, Christy, you can do better than that. That sounded kind of <laughs> throw it, throw it down, throw was down that on. Bad? It. Yeah, let's do it that again. Clap, throw so, me off. <laughs> <laughs> the clap would throw me off too. The clap is nothing you're usually looking for. So anyway. Exactly. So well, we were off this morning. Actually, we were a little out of sync. So we were. Yeah, we were. But it, but it turned out pretty well, actually. I think so. So so most people do do people know you in the tiny house movement? I think they do. Yeah. Um, somewhat. I, I think I'm, um, I'm not as uh, frequent as a blogger as uh, some of the others, but. And what, what do you think they would know you because? I built a tiny house oh, quite a few years ago in Idaho and I didn't know anybody that had a tiny house. And, um, I gave a speech in Boise to about a thousand people. And Macy Miller from uh, Mini Motos happened to be in the audience, and she's actually the first person who I ever met that said she was going to be doing the same thing. So now, fast forward, I don't know, five years or so, um, I think there's probably maybe 30 people in the Boise area building them. Wow. So I have a house out here. I built a house, a treehouse, tiny house in Hawaii, um, and that's what I do uh, for a living now is rent that out to mostly honeymooners. And then I just finished um, another project, a hobbit hole in Washington. Oh, Washington, uh, Washington State? Yeah, in Chelan. Oh, wow. I thought for sure that thing was in Europe somewhere. Wow. No, it's here. Wow, cool. So it's it's funny because the the uh, Mark and I ran into your website when we were looking at, when we were doing another project on tiny houses, and then we saw the work you were doing on the project in Hawaii, which was really cool. And then we just kind of scoured your website and, it, and looked at some of the things that you had written about yourself. You also designed your own dresses, or, or a design and build, I guess, right? Yep. I'm a, I sew, but I don't do any of that for, like, the public or anything, just kind of a hobby, and then uh, and build. And then you're also... We get it mixed up, but you, you do something with potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that took about two minutes to get to the potatoes. <laughs> um, I was uh, I was a spokesperson for Idaho Potatoes for a couple years. Traveled around the country with a six-ton potato, and uh, got to see uh, pretty much I think every state but Alaska, uh, the big cities and the small towns, and spend time uh, in each area. So it was. Really awesome. Now I just fill in because I can't go on the road for that long. Why can't you go on the road for that long anymore? <laughs> well, I could, I guess, technically. But um, because of my other builds, um, which take me a few months, uh, I've decided not to go. No time for taters. Right. Was yeah. It, was it a real <laughs> six-ton potato? <laughs> <laughs> you haven't seen I it? It's a real 
really awesome six ton potato. It's real? Like it grew in the ground? No, <laughs> no it didn't. Um, the okay. actual the largest potato ever grown was 11 pounds, and so oh. this is 12,000. <laughs> I've seen the truck, right? It's on the back of a flatbed. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's mocked after like an old 1950s black and white postcard, yeah. and they did it for the 75th anniversary oh. of Idaho potatoes, and then um, it just kind of went crazy, and so it's still on the road, I think, four years later. Wow, cool. It's like the Wino And actually, there's a ton. There's a Kissmobile for Hershey Kisses. There's a Hamburger Helper. What? And there's oh a bunch of them. Yeah, Monster. I know Monster. <laughs> they have... Um, they actually put their monster cans on smart cars, but yeah. wow. it's, it's a pretty weird oh, yeah. little niche uh, job, but it was fun. Yeah, so, so I'm sure we always come back to it, but you know, you just kind of have to when you live in Idaho. But don't you just get sick of potato questions in general as an Idahoan? No, I freaking love it. Do you? Uh, awesome. Yes, I'm so I'm so excited to be from Idaho, and so when I travel before, I I mean, it's pretty much the only thing that people know about. Idaho. Sure. It is. Um, besides the maybe Ku Klux the blue Klan. turf now. Well, and the Ku Klux Klan. <laughs> yeah. And most and people then, don't know that the potato is a state bird. So, which it really is, Perry. That is true. Six-ton potato, not true. State bird potato, totally true. No, it's not. It is. Is it's that true? The mountain bluebird. Come okay. on. <laughs> if you'd have said yes, he'd have bought it, and that would have been awesome. Anyway, back to the tiny house thing. Ugly that I bird. Think we're here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so what? What prompted you to build that first tiny house? Um, I was just doing it as an experiment in uh, minimalism. I already had kind of a construction background, remodeled houses a lot growing up, and. And then in the housing boom. And so I figured it would be a pretty simple thing to try out. Um, and I thought after a year, you know, I'll just give it away or something. But I loved it instantly. Um, maybe like a couple weeks into it, I started looking for land to uh, park it permanently, which I did do. And then I cut off the tongue and, and added an extra 100 square feet so now it's 200 square feet um, off grid out in the middle of nowhere in Boise wow and you're you you said you were in construction did you have your own firm or did you work for somebody else um so my mom my dad was a school teacher there was six of us kids not were there are six of us kids (laughs) And, uh, and so we we didn't have any money and my mom would remodel our houses out of necessity because usually the ones we could afford didn't have enough space and um also for resale so I think I lived in 11 houses with my parents uh before I moved out at 17 and uh, so there, I was just in the midst of construction all the time mm. had a, a few uncles that did like that were basically slum lords and uh, worked on a lot of crappy apartments and then uh when I was a little older, I flipped houses for people. Other people financed them, and I did the uh, work in design. And then I uh, got out of that at perfect timing when the housing market crashed. And then I've just worked on projects here and there, had other jobs, but, you know, pretty handy. Wow. What's interesting about that, what you just said, was you said your mom was always working on, like, remodeling the space. Like, that, 
Well, my, my dad's not much of a, a construction worker. He doesn't like, he does not like the mess, but it is really incredible because, um, I'm 33. And so growing up in the eighties and nineties, like we didn't have a home Depot in our town, you know, there was no internet. So I, when I'm doing a project, I YouTube things probably every day. And, um, I just can't imagine how you collect that knowledge of how to do things without any of those resources. I mean, literally going to the library or asking somebody who might know something on another construction site. Pretty crazy. Where did you get your interest in minimalism? Um, you know, I thought I was a minimalist before I moved into a tiny house. Turns out I wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I, I always picked, um, some sort of social experiment to kind of just remind me to be in the present. So I was a vegetarian for a few years and I, um, didn't date for what was supposed, everything was supposed to be a year and they all snowballed into many more and I did no sugar and I've tried all these things. So this was another one. And I, I basically had taken away anything that I could take away. (laughs) And so maybe living in a, a smaller place, but I mean, I, it just feels so natural for me. I have friends that come over that think there's no way. I mean, their closets are bigger than my house, but for me, it was perfect instantly. And, and how did you, where did you, um, I have a lot of questions about the Hawaii house. First of all, in your blog, you talk about your dream of wanting to be a wealthy person, but the, but the, I think if I, if I can characterize it correctly, you said something like, although the money hasn't shown up, I am living this wealthy lifestyle for me. Um, and, and I, I just tying that to this house in Hawaii, how did you get to Hawaii to build this tiny house and, and how did that work out? Yeah, well, it's a little crazy. Um, I was, you know, raised poor. And so I always thought, you know, I'm going to be a millionaire by the time I'm 30. And I read all these business books, you know, all growing up and stuff, even though I was in a small town, didn't know anybody that was, you know, rich or anything like that. And I had a business, um, a clothing boutique and, um, was working crazy hours, loved it. And uh, my business partner was my brother, and he got a divorce, and it ended our business. But when I was working there, I had read um, the four-hour work week, and I just, where I was at that point, it was like there was no way I was going to be able to work four hours a week. And um, But I was so focused on uh, making money, and something in that book said that uh, people think they want a million dollars, but really they want to live like a millionaire. And so really to think of what living like a millionaire looks like. And from that exercise, I had, you know, found out that my ideal lifestyle wasn't very expensive, you know, have flowers in the house or not have to clean it. or you know, these things were really hundreds of dollars, not millions. So, um, progressively, doing more soul searching and reading and things I kind of let go of that sort of need or dream for money. What I really wanted was freedom to spend the time how I wanted to. And, um, with the tiny house, I had reduced my bills to nothing. The potato tour paid for my cell phone. I, I buy cars, um, with a maximum 
of $500. So literally didn't have any bills and I decided that maybe I could do this treehouse in Hawaii. Um, and so I started looking at property in different areas and I found some really reasonable and it's pretty much the only area where land is reasonable in Hawaii, which is on the rainy side of the big Island. And, um, I had never been there and I just bought a piece of property off of Craigslist and, uh, for how, went there. For how much? $8,000. Wow. How big of a piece uh, of property? It's a little over a half acre. Most of the lots are a half acre, but I have like a dead end one where it's kind of a triangle shape. Um, but it's like a half acre of pure jungle. I mean, there's, I had to cut my way through the jungle when I got there. So, uh, pretty dense. Wow. Wow. Yeah, and now I get to, I, I barely have to work on it. You know, I have a bunch of systems in place and, and now I get to, you know, do the things I want and kind of this minimalist or tiny house lifestyle led me to my original goal. How many people uh, rent that place a year or whatever? Um, so this is my first year. I just finished my first year and, um, there might be two days a month that aren't rented. So wow. Oh, solid. Oh, oh, that rocks. Yeah, I, when I did it, I was thinking, okay, worst case scenario, nobody will rent it and I'll have a tree house in Hawaii. <laughs> so right. friends and family can use it. That doesn't and suck. I, yeah. And I my goal was, um, that to have it rent eight days a month would make it so I uh, wouldn't have to get a normal job. Um, and then it just rented constantly. How so much do you rent it for? I started out renting it for $200 a night, and now I rent it for 240 I think. 240 And do you rent um, it through the various uh, Airbnb-ish kind of places, or just... I only do Airbnb. Only. Um, I was intending on doing everything, VRBO, Travel Mob, Glamping Hub, and they all suck compared to Airbnb. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and um, I was getting so many bookings on, and I, I did a bunch of work at the beginning with Google AdWords and stuff to drive traffic to the site, and now I don't have to do that because um, it, I'm what is called a super host, meaning I have a bunch of five-star reviews, and so I get to be at the top of the listing there anyways, but at the beginning, I was just trying to have people see it, um, and then I might have, like, a booking on another platform, and I would have to try to keep track, okay, well, on the 27th, I have this one person, and so I just got rid of all of them, because I figured, well, if I didn't have that booking there, somebody else would probably book it on Airbnb, and so um, I switched over, and there is a site called guesty.com, guest with a Y, and they uh, respond to everybody for me. I had already come up with a bunch of templates so that I didn't have to write the same response every time to people. And, um, they took those templates and, and this is what they do. So if somebody on the other side of the world is, uh, inquiring about the place or has a question in the middle of the night, um, they'll get a response immediately and they take a, a fee and it's like the best spent money ever. That's awesome. And did they BCC you so you know they responded? Um, so no, um, I get the original emails from Airbnb will, uh, email it to me as well as to Guesty. Um, I just know that they have 
responded. And if they have a question um, that hasn't been asked before, they'll email it to me. I'll give them an answer, and then they'll save it in the database so that they don't have to ask me that again. Nice. So in the first couple months, it's a lot of back and forth, and then after that, it's pretty hands off. So how do so you said it's on the rainy side of the Big Island? How much? How many days of cool. rain does it get? Pretty much every day. Like, uh, it, it's like a, it's a, it's about seventy eight to eighty four degrees year round, and it always says like thirty percent chance of rain, which means it might rain for thirty percent of the day. Yeah. So um, there will be weeks at a time that it's kind of abnormal where it will just be sunny. Um, it usually will be like flash flood type of rain for fifteen minutes and then stop. So, um, and then occasionally, maybe a couple times a month, it'll rain for like two days straight, and which is good because I do rainwater catchment there. Oh, yeah. um, so I need that. Yeah. Okay, it's official. We've thought about it. We've talked about it, and we're taking the show on the road. <laughs> <laughs> you guys should go. <laughs> it's a really cool spot. It's not as touristy as the um, rest of the islands, but um, there's still enough visitors there that. I can keep the business, and there's uh, so many cool things in that area to do. I'm about five miles away from Volcano National Park. Yeah, and some best snorkeling. So. Yeah, yeah. So the the does the house does the tiny house in Hawaii generate more revenue than your boutique was generating? Um. Yes. Um, the hard thing with the boutique was that everything went back into the store, um, to grow it and, you know, having a retail location, uh, caused a lot of problems and having hours that you're open. It's just a a ton more work than, uh, building this house and renting it is a ton of work at the forefront because I'm doing it by myself or with my mom. Um, but then, you know, you get a just sit back and collect it, which yeah, is, it's is much nicer. <laughs> is the tiny house off-grid? Yes. Uh, all my properties are off-grid. Uh, Hawaii is pretty much perfect conditions for it because uh, it's super sunny and rainy, so you get the rainwater and the solar power, and then it's just on its own little septic so what system. So what, what systems do you have in the tiny house that require electricity? Uh, there's not a lot because uh, it doesn't have like a, a refrigerator or stove. So there's like a little coffee maker. Um, I have an area where people can, uh, it's a, it's an undermounted cooler, but you can't see it. So you open up like this wood thing on the counter and you can store like your fruits and vegetables or sandwich stuff. Um, but there's no, oven or anything there so it's just basically lights which are all all led uh plugins for your laptops and computers and such and then uh it's a really small system so you can't run a blow dryer but i've only had one guest um and i think there's been maybe like 150 couples stay there i only had one guest that used up the power uh, there's just three solar panels, hundred watt panels, and two uh, six volt batteries. So, and they and they called and they're like, I don't know what happened. Uh, we just have our laptops and cell phones and radio, and like pretty much every outlet was filled with something. <laughs> the coffee maker is going, and all the lights are on. I'm like, yeah, 
that's going to happen. So the solar <laughs> also runs the pump that gets the water oh, no. that high up into the air yeah. uh, for the toilet and the shower. Yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah. You're pretty much living every tiny house person's dream, I think. Do you ever sit back and think, I am, I don't know, I'm so lucky, I'm so smart, I'm so blessed. Like, what is your feeling, um, what you said earlier about um, not making a million dollars but living like a millionaire really, really struck me um, as really insightful. I mean, how often do you sit back and go, I'm done, this is great, um, or what's next? I mean, what... It's a fascinating story. Um, I I do feel incredibly lucky. I have a super charmed life um, that I get to, you know, I I read a lot. I hike with my dog a lot. So there's a lot of opportunity to uh, reflect and think about how great it is. The weird side of it is that everybody else is still working. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I have a lot of friends that are much older because they might, be retired or something, but everybody <laughs> and my boyfriend stuff, they're all still working 40 plus hours a week. So there's that little, um, time <coughs> variance, but I keep busy. So I just finished the Hobbit hole build, which took me a couple months and I plan on doing a whole village there. So right now I, it's five and a half acres and I am going to do three that hopefully will be done by the summer and then an above ground like pub style communal kitchen that all the units will be able to share. So um, it's just really wonderful to be able to, you know, do these creative projects and, and be able to have them self-funded. Yeah. So the, how old is your mom? Oh, good question. Uh, she just turned 60. Okay, and, and and so you guys built that house in Hawaii by yourselves. I mean, I'm sure you had yeah. some contractor assistance, right? Some folks with backhoes mm, and stuff like no. that. How did you? <laughs> no, we didn't. We had a. Um, I hired some rant guy with a skidster um, because I I pretty much had the GPS um, location and a little description, but everything out there look of the lot that I bought. Everything out there looks the same. And my uh, lot was on a dead end. And uh, I thought I was at the dead end because the road that goes another block was so overgrown with vegetation. that And so it's actually the nicest part of the road because since the 70s, nobody's driven on it. Um, that I couldn't find uh, my actual lot <laughs> until we saw that there was some, some pavement under there. So I had to have a backhoe or a bobcat come out and scrape it yeah and then there happened when he was scraping it happened to be a couple old junker cars which is kind of normal for hawaii because there's no way to get rid of them so you'll just see these cars abandoned on the side of the road and so he just stacked them on top of each other and put a bunch of vegetation on there and now you can't see (laughs) where they are it's pretty horrible but um so he did that and then he did a little uh, clearing for me, but most people out there uh, bulldoze their whole lot and then they plant grass and uh, build a house. But we have wild pigs that root up your grass. And so it's like this constant battle. And um, I wanted to save as many trees as possible. There's actually this crooked uh, branch that goes over the pathway um, that 
everybody that came out was like, you need to cut that thing down. I'm like, no, it has to be saved. It's covered with moss and it's beautiful. And so um, I wanted it to be far back in the jungle. So it was about 100 feet back. And that's literally the only person we hired. I think I paid him $600 and he was out there for a few hours. And I wish I wouldn't have um, because the rain came and it created, there was no um, root system anymore. So we just had this massive, crazy thick mud puddle Uh. that like sucked off your shoes. I mean, pretty impossible to work on. My mom was ready to like throw in the towel right then. And I would throw logs onto the mud as stepping stones, but eventually they would get sucked in. And um, eventually we had a couple days of sun and it kind of dried it out, but it was pretty horrible until I got the platform built to keep that area dry where we were working. So I wish I would have just cut it down with a chainsaw. Wasn't a big space to clear, uh, but I didn't really know any better. Now, be candid. Somewhere in the back of your mind, when you stacked those two cars up, you probably thought, <laughs> I could rent those as another tiny house. <laughs> didn't you? Anyway. They were in pretty bad shape. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so you're, you and your mom must be pretty burly. <laughs> wow. No, uh, she's much stronger than me. I am... I, I'm a twig. I, I'm super... Um, <laughs> super yeah, weak. Harry, I've but, seen her. She doesn't. She doesn't look like very burly. Well, I've seen her. I've seen her pictures, and she is. A, she strikes as a striking figure. But you do all this construction, and your mom does too. And she's in her sixties, I think you said. How do you? Yeah. I'm not. I'm not trying to be sexist, but it's. It seems like a lot of work for anybody to do yeah. by themselves. But to do it with your mother, yeah. who's sixty. It, it's not pretty. <laughs> we always laugh that if somebody could be seeing what was happening um you know they would shake their heads I mean just going to the hardware store people shake their heads all the time because I always have shitty cars and I you know they're like oh you can't fit that in there I'm like oh yeah just it's okay I got it <laughs> you know, and I'll, I'll put everything on the roof and I'll you know haul it whichever way I can but um so it's it's not pretty it's really tough but when there is no other option uh you just make it work and so you know, this place, building it high up like that, required these really heavy beams that we could barely carry down the pathway, um, and they needed to be put in the air. So a couple of guys could probably just walk it up the ladder and screw it in, and it would have been done in a couple hours. But for us, uh, we had to buy a couple winches, and it's like inch by inch cranking these up, and then climb up the ladder, and then just have to lift it the two inches into the brackets was like all the strength possible. So um, not very strong physically, but uh, pretty driven, I guess. And yeah. smart, it sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. So tell me about, so tell us about the, um, the Hobbit, the Hobbit holes, which I thought were in the UK for some strange reason. <laughs> did, you buy, did you buy land in Washington too? Yeah, I bought, I, um, after the tiny house conference in Portland, um, we, my mom and I went on like a week tour of the Northwest looking at every affordable lot. And um, I think people <clears throat> really are uh, surprised that you can buy property um, so inexpensive. 
but there's usually a reason why. Um, and <laughs> that was the case traveling around, you know, usually you had to drive through a really rough neighborhood or there was no access or easement, legal issues, things like that, but you can find them. And, um, I eventually found this really wonderful spot. I wanted to be closer to the coast where there wasn't as harsh of a winter. Um, but I just, uh, didn't find any of the rolling, uh, hills. And so I could have done it in more of like a forest area and it probably would have been fine, but to make it, uh, seem more like the movies, um, I really wanted that, what, what movies? Uh, mountainside to bury them in. What movie? So, um, found Chelan and, uh, because I'm doing it as a vacation rental, it has to be in an area that people already visit, um, which they do. Are you there? Uh-oh. Christy? We'll, we'll just pick up where, where you left off. And we're back. So you were talking about your sort of, um, you were being very intentional about the lots that you were looking for. You wanted to sort of replicate a movie. You wanted to build these hobbits house, presumably in the side of a hill. So that's where we left off. Yeah, so I, I settled on Chelan, uh, which should be a great area for solar power because I, again, want it to be off-grid, and they have over 300 days of sun, so I'm hoping that that works out. It already has a good amount of tourism, and then Seattle and Portland are only a few hours away, so millions of potential weekenders Have you been come. there before? I hadn't. Um, I somebody tipped me off on it and I, cause this was after my mom and I had taken the road trip of everything because I was really focused, uh, more towards the coast and, but didn't see anything that was perfect. And so I got a call and I just got in the car and drove out there, spent a weekend, you know, tried a bunch of food and got a sense for what the, uh, town was like and, uh, ended up buying the place, Right then. I don't think about things too long. <laughs> it was pretty quick. So, so how far is it then, from downtown Chelan proper? I go there every year, a couple times a year. Oh, so. do you? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a, a few-minute drive, but it seems a lot longer I, your first time because it's way up a mountain, and it's got a really spectacular view of the Columbia River and the lake, uh, but it's, it's out there. I mean, there's way more deer than people or houses. Mm -hmm. So what was it about? You, you said that you can buy these properties cheap and you, there's usually a reason. How much did you pay mm -hmm. for this property and what was the reason for why it was so cheap? Um, this property, I think they were asking 22000 I got it for eighteen, which is uh, way more expensive than I've ever spent or way more money than I've ever spent. Um, but it's a lot more land. And the reason why is just because it is, um, so remote. So if you wanted, uh, to build a normal house with, uh, real power and well water, that cost would be pretty crazy. I mean, I don't think that you can get normal power up that far of the mountain. And then a well is really deep. So you're looking at about 40,000. Oh, wow. um, I did a water tower that will be filled up with a water truck. I see. And, and then it feeds to the rest of the houses. Okay. And so tell me, tell me about this, this Hobbit house. So this is the biggest house I've built. It's 288 square feet and it's buried into the mountainside. Um, 
it just has a living room, a bedroom, and a bathroom because I plan on building a kitchen that all of the units can share and it'll look like a little English pub. And um, this one is permitted, which my other ones haven't been. So that was kind of different, but not difficult. Um, and uh, yeah, it looks like Lord of the Rings style, round door, the whole the whole bit. Uh, there's a lot of um, Hobbit houses, like if you searched it for rent, but um, it, they're pretty much uh, an above-ground house or cottage with a round door. So <laughs> pretty much anything with a round door, somebody will call a hobbit house. And I, and then there's the places in New Zealand where you can go and uh, visit the actual movie set, but they're just set. So the door's open, but there's nothing behind it. Huh. And um, I wanted to create a place where people could actually stay and so I did a bunch of research, was on forums like crazy, trying to make it as accurate as possible because I'm not, uh, you know, I, I watched The Hobbit as a kid, the, the cartoon, and thought that the, I was more interested in the houses than the fantasy sort of uh, story. So I was really careful to make sure everything was as accurate as possible. Wow. So the, the I see your mind turning. I you haven't seen me ever do it. I'm like, just bullshit off. Okay. So, so the, um, Mark is speechless. Yeah, I don't know how that happens. So some time ago, some time ago um, Christy, we interviewed a guy named Dan Price. And he lives in a... How he described it is you take... He took a... He didn't do actually this, but this is how he describes it. He took a hot t- a wooden hot tub and turned it upside down, so the floor's on the top, uh-huh. and then he covered it with dirt, and then he he hollowed he hollowed out one of the sides and 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 built a little home inside of that. So it's underground, but it's not like a cave. It's more like a thing that was built into the ground. Is your is your was right. your was your is your structure kind of built that way? Um. No. So. I had, um, this one was filmed for HGTV, so I had help and more money than I've ever had, and it was harder than it's ever been. (laughs) So I thought that it was really hard just doing it with my mom, but it's way harder having other people. Um, But hopefully the next one I'll be better at it. So we had um, a big excavator come out and uh, take out the mount inside um, back about... 15 or 20 feet into the hill and then we built a normal well it's not normal a crazy sturdy building so we used two by sixes instead of two by fours 12 inch centers um the whole thing is like really really stout and it's on a gravel pad and i thought that we would do a cement pad but uh when we had talked to some experts they said that the cement pad would just live forever that you it wasn't really necessary um because it would outlast the building by you know a hundred years so uh, we put it on a gravel pad plastic the whole thing it's wrapped in certainty uh house wrap like a bunch of different certainty projects uh products to encase the whole thing to hopefully make it watertight because once we put the dirt on, there's no going back. You know, it's not like, oh, there's a leak and you're going to be able to (laughs) unbury the house. So it actually has a shed roof, but it's reversed um, so that the shed roof, the lower side is at the front of the building. And that's to kind of angle the mountainside or keep that same 
shape. But then, and it's only a foot difference from the back to the front end. The whole building is 24 by 12. And then I obviously didn't want it to be, and this was, this was something hard to explain to everybody as well, um, was that I didn't want a shed roof on the inside. You know, I, I wanted it to be authentic. So I did barrel ceilings through the whole thing so that it looks like it was burrowed out, even though the actual structure is this square. I mean, it, it looked like a shed until the last few days when it got covered. And I built what I call like an eyebrow, which is basically this big shelf um, and that was the thing that was the curved shape on the front of it. Mm-hmm. And that held the dirt back and planted plants in it and things like that. Um, so it should be all grassy come spring. But that's what gives it its look of it being this half circle instead of the square. But everybody's like, what about all the wasted space? I'm like, what are you going to do 12 feet up anyway? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like it needs to be rounded. <laughs> Oh, that's just, it's such a fascinating project. We, here at the Tiny House Podcast, you know, we reach out to what we call the fringes of the tiny house movement. Um, and I would definitely say with, with so many tiny houses on wheels and, and <coughs> architects and even tiny houses on foundations, this is, this is pretty fascinating. This is, this is really cool. So if, if any regrets, I mean, this is, this is so far a field of, you know, of, the tiny house movement. Everything we've talked about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of, again, it's a small space, but that's about as much as I think it has in common, but any regrets? (laughs) I mean, you're going to build three more of these. Are you nuts? (laughs) Um, I think that I'll have it down is, is, well, kind of. Um, I, I mean, there's lots of mistakes that I've made on all of my houses and um, things that I would do differently. I'm happy with the outcome, but there's lots of things that I could have done easier. Like, you know, looking back, it's like, why didn't I think about that? Or that would have saved us a few days had we not had a struggle with this. Um, So the the problem, it should be easy to replicate, even though each one will be um, kind of a different... I've, I've subscribed like a personality or a profession to each hobbit hole. So this one, I did it if, as if the hobbit was a carpenter. So there's a cordwood floor and there's a woodworking bench where guests will actually be able to whittle something. And um, just a lot of all the chandeliers and stuff are wood and wood lanterns and all that. So the other houses will definitely do- look different depending on who in quotations it's for who are they um (laughs) i'm gonna the next one is gonna be kind of like a professor or an intellectual so there'll be a lot of books a hidden a hidden uh bookcase uh door that will go to the bathroom and kind of like oddities and maps and things like that so a little bit more sophisticated than the other one but the build if i and smart will stay the same. (laughs) I don't know how much of it, like, I'll get bored with and want to say, well, let's experiment with this type of building or that type of building. But um, after this village is done, I would like to continue and do different sort of um, places. Like, I'd like to do a windmill or straw bell building and and things like that. I just want to do as much as I can. 
So, for the record, when I said, are you nuts, I meant that to be like the most, like an ultimate compliment, right? So, <laughs> just for the sake of clarity, um, I think everybody in the tiny house movement is a little nuts. And again, I, I, I hold that to, that attribute in very high regard. So, just want to clear I, that I agree. Up. Whenever somebody asks me, you know, I meet new people all the time and they ask you what you do I'm always hesitant because I, I feel like I just sound like a compulsive liar or something I'm like <laughs> I don't want to say I have a house in Hawaii because that makes me seem like I oh, have wow. this big house yeah. and so I'm like I rent out a tree house in Hawaii that I built <laughs> I'm like these people think I'm crazy <laughs> I am just over the mountain impressed with what you're doing it's so incredible. You guys, it's not far away. The hobbit holes aren't far away from you, so you guys will have to come stay. We'd love to come look at them when they're done. Who's who's going to run the pub when you've got that built? So it's going to be, well, this is a plan right now. Um, it's just going to be open to the guests. So I'll stock it with food, but um, they will prepare it. And I, I've been considering doing <laughs> something like with plated or one of those services where it gives you the recipe and all the ingredients right. that maybe guests could order those beforehand but i think um when doing the research uh hobbits want it to be really comfortable and i kind of try to do that in the space making everything super cozy with the fabrics and the um colors and everything and make it closed in and stuff and so uh one of the huge things was that um hobbits <clears throat> like to get together and food is one of the greatest pleasures so i thought having this communal kitchen, um, whether it's strangers staying in the other places or if you're family or you want to go with other couples or something, rent out the whole place, you can kind of come together there and, and eat. So I'm just going to have it kind of a big farm table and the food there, and then I'll, I'll decide what to do in terms of, like, meals and uh, what people will have, but... Are you going to have, like, miniature pigs and chickens running around? <laughs> I, I am going to have miniature ponies. I, I I Why do we know am, that? <laughs> but, um, but my mom kind of vetoed me on, on getting them. I wanted them at the work site. I wanted them there right, <laughs> right at the beginning. But, um, hopefully in the spring I'll get those. And actually I hope to plant an actual vegetable garden there. So hopefully people that will be staying will be eating the vegetables that were grown there. And I have a great caretaker in Hawaii and it was really hard to find because uh, people are so content and it's so easy to live there that there's not a lot of people um, that want to work hard. And so I think I'll have a lot better luck in Washington finding uh, some people to kind of take care of that and mend the garden and take care of the ponies. And, and hopefully the guests will be able to feed them carrots or whatever. I really want this whole experience, not just a place that you stay. Oh, this is so, so as, awesome. As weird as this sounds, when the time's right, we actually have a connection into somebody that has like a couple little ponies here in Portland. <laughs> oh, that's right. He owns that. He owns <laughs> I've been looking at them on Craigslist. Yeah. I, I will definitely let you guys yeah, know. Yeah, let us know. We got this tiny pony connection. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So are, is, the, is the Hobbit house rented out now or are you going to wait till they're all done before you start to, to list it? Um, so I have it available in March, <clears throat> mid-March. 
Um, and so it's not renting out right now. There's still a couple things um, that I have to do, but I wanted to see how the winter was going to be with um, the road access up there. Mm-hmm. And so I'm waiting till spring to rent it. And then I hope that before I rent that one, I'll at least have the other two closed in so that I can work on the interior, but it won't affect the guests. Um, that's what I'm really, really pushing for. Do you have any idea what the tiny house community thinks about what you're doing? I, well, I haven't really wrote about the Hobbit house or anything, uh, because I've been just in the thick of it. And when I did Hawaii, I kept a daily log and, and posted things every few days. Um, but for this one, it was, you know, having, uh, sort of a crew, more volunteers and crew, more family and friends came and helped, but, um, having to do so much extra stuff, I, there was just no way I was going to be able to, um, blog about it and, you know, be able to build something in four weeks. So, uh, which it didn't take four weeks. It took much longer. It took about two months. Um, but four weeks of having help. And then I was just out there alone, camping, finishing everything up. Um, so next time, um, it might be, I, I think I'll have a much better understanding and be able to organize that a lot more efficiently, um, to be able to get those ready, hopefully the whole place by summertime. It sounds like it, based on the people that we've spoken to, and we've spoken to a lot of the, um, top people in the tiny house movement, you seem to be the only one who is um, building with an intent to uh, rent it out. Basically rent it out. Yeah, right. to have these development places. Right. Hospitality, yeah. I think I think so many tiny house people have that notion. I think we have that idea. Yeah. Um, but we have a really hard time wrapping our head around exactly how, how, to do it. how that would do it. And so, um, Christy, I think you did it the smart way, the right way, you know, set yourself, set your life up with minimal expenses so that you could sort of invest. What I hear is I hear her investing all of her time and all of her energy in sort of building her empire instead of the other way around. Well, and, and but she's also, she's also designing these experiences for people that it, it's, like the um, what was the one we we list we interviewed two weeks ago the Bayside oh yes last week Bayside, Bayside Bungalow, Bungalow yeah. so she's are you familiar are you familiar with um, Brittany Yunker. Brittany Yunker I'm not okay so she she was one of the first tiny house builders to put her tiny house up for rent and she's been renting it was even before tiny house movement kind of or Airbnb Correct. got underway but right. again that was not really intentional well though, no it too. wasn't and so uh, it was almost accidental on how that ended up happening so this is a really really fascinating story we appreciate your yeah, time yeah yeah so she's got she's got these experiences that she's building more so than just tiny houses it's building exactly it's right. building the experience and unlike even um, caravan which is still a rentable experience mm-hmm. you know they're not personally building them. Right. So she's putting herself into them. And, Christy, you seem more, in a way, you're kind of more like an artist and designer. And then, uh, with the exception of the Hobbit Hole, where you're going to kind of do a cluster of four, <coughs> five, or six, or whatever it ends up being, but your next thing, you always want to do something different. Yeah. Which, again, is kind of like an artist who's like, well, I kind of did that. I don't want to do Rocky Three. Yeah. Whatever, you know, right. That kind of well, <laughs> that's what people were saying about the Hawaii house being successful. Oh, you should do a bunch of them. And I definitely have enough property 
to do more. But I think that the thing that kind of makes that magical is that you are in this space alone. And what makes the Hobbit Hole a better um, idea business-wise or investment-wise is the more Hobbit Holes there are, the better the experience is yeah. because of the more complete the village looks. So I'll be able to capitalize on the land, whereas Hawaii, I don't want to just, you know, and it's kind of like, oh, I did it, you know. I don't, I want to learn how to do something new, and, and building underground was definitely a, a learning <laughs> experience. That's, so That's really inspiring. That's yeah, really, it really That's is. really awesome. Well, fantastic. Christy, thank you so much for being our guest today. And uh, listeners, you. I hope you're as, as inspired as we were listening to this story, and be sure to tune in next week on Tiny House Podcast. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody. Bye, guys. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Tiny House Podcast. To find us online, go to tinyhousepodcast.com, where you will also find our show notes, if you remember to put them there. Our logo was designed by the amazing Carolyn Maine. Our website is hosted by the gang at Sitecast. Our theme music is by Oma Studio. Please go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating, or whatever. You tiny house-loving bastard. Tiny House Podcast is probably made in Portland, Oregon. 